Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. And I am... Um... Well, I guess I'm going to have to put a thick Russian accent on this one. <clears throat> Comrades, I have successfully infiltrated the, capital, the capitalist capital. It was weird, but this place is interesting. It's kind of like Moscow, but not really. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm in D.C., and it's really fun. Uh, except half of the museums that I wanted to go to are, are closed, like Air and Space is under renovation, and that's bad. And apparently, if you want to go up the Washington Monument, that you can only pre-purchase the tickets when it's like if you're a large group you can pre-purchase them in normal times but otherwise you have to wait on each day's 10 a.m precisely where they sell the tickets to the next the following day and i did that two times in a row and uh, both of the days yeah they got sold out in seconds i literally clicked on the times i wanted poof gone and then, well, if you are American and if you, um, well, have read in the news about the person who in Capitol drove into a wall and then shot himself, yeah, me and my girlfriend were walking towards the Capitol from the other side when that thing happened and then they closed the Capitol down. So, I need to remind you that I'm in the United States. Actually, I love it here. Um, I'm going to talk more about my United States experiences in a long-form episode, which I'm recording later on in about four hours with History Impossible, which is going to be sent to Anat and edited. It's not going to be out so soon, because Anat needs to edit it probably a day or two or something. But there I'm going to be talking about more kind of in-depth war philosophy and the things that Smithsonian museums may think about, about democracy and about the monuments and more general subject things. Not just news, because because uh, you know I I met I met some of you here, really really thank you and um, well like I said a lot of my United States experiences is going to be in this show that I'm recording in about four hours with um, with Alexander from History Impossible and listen to that there's going to be a lot of shout outs and well although no one sponsors me here I'm going to give you my well best places where I've eaten and where I've been and you know that's going to be kind of a relief because after the event it was a bit different. However, this episode was supposed to come out yesterday with all the news from the front. Because, you know, we're back in business. But uh, then um, a bunch of weird events happened, which I had to dig in and realize and understand what was going actually on and everything. So I'll start with a big one. Because, you know, uh, like I said, trip experiences in a long-form episode, because I have a lot to talk about. 
both outside the context of this war and in the context of this war. But um, first of all, about first, first of all about Igor Girkin, you might have heard that there's a lot of rumors and reports going on that Igor Girkin shaved off his mustache and his hair, and he went to Crimea to get to the front lines. To, you know, he got so angry about the failures of the Russian military that he decided to go to the front lines, and apparently he was arrested there. In Crimea, he was caught and arrested because he was using fake documents and whatever. Well, now, I uh, I spent two days, and I literally skipped going to Lincoln Monument for a day just to do this, and it's a bit tiring recording this when you're just seeing all the sites. However, here is the exact information that I know of that is confirmable that I know what happened with Igor Girkin these days. See, Igor Girkin, also known as Strelkov, also known as my frenemy, he had missed and skipped his publication date because he usually on Fridays spends about an hour or so talking with his Russian friends, though the ultra-nationalist mega-pro-war and also anti-Putin at the same time, ultra-monarchist crazies with contacts with Donetsk military and all this stuff. This is where Muruz comes from, this is where Mikhail Kalashnikov from Roy TV spouts his nonsense, you know, all this good stuff that we use. So, he had missed this one, and his kind of posts had become less frequent in, in, in recent times, and not as long. So, you know, I had to switch to other sources, but I'm always interested whenever he posts something. And, well, his buddy, Igor, Be- Be- Igor Bezler, one of his kind of buddies, posted that um, he was kind of arrested in Crimea, and everyone saw the picture of Igor Girkin without, you know, his mustache and with shaved hair. So what happened was... Igor Girkin specifically stated, he commented on this picture, that he's been arrested and all this stuff. He, he stated specifically three points which we dug through. One, to comment Igor Nikolaevich Belzer is not to respect myself. Two, I have never sat in, in, in jail. Specifically, um, the isolator for temporary, the temporary KPZ, uh, KPZ. Uh, Basically, temporary lockdown jail. Like, if you get arrested, you get to put in this temporarily. He denies specifically that. Third, I will be... Uh, sooner or later, I'll be on the front lines. Because this war... Anyways, this war, like I said before, will be long and heavy. But not right now. End quote. This is what he denies. So, basically, I can, out of all of my sources and news, including Aristovich, whom I also double-check every, every time... What happened with Girkin is that he used, not a fake passport, this I found out, by the way, he used an old agency passport given to him by the KGB, now FSB, well, the same organization, basically. He had undercover passports. He took one of those passports under some other name, but it's not a fake one. Technically, it's just given to him by his government special services, and he just kept it in use. And with that passport, he tried to smuggle himself to the front lines. Then he went to Crimea, and he wasn't exactly arrested as he was, well, stopped from going, prevented from going to the front lines. And this is very exact words, since arrested means he's put into jail, he's sent away, all that stuff. But apparently, as far as I know from my private sources, and, well, putting together my private sources, OSINT, I just went to the spy museum, I have a lot of things to say, but I can tell that I'm OSINT apparently now. From OSINT and other kind of important sources, I can piece piece together that Igor Girkin shaved his head, well, cut it down, shaved his, shaved his mustache, 
Then he went to Crimea, was prevented from going to the front lines, and he states that he will not go to the front lines right now in the closest days, but he will be there eventually. Apparently, even according to Aristovich, he was let go, although Aristovich claims he's made, like Girkin's made his way to the front lines. I am a bit skeptical about that. I think he's near the front lines in Crimea, and I think Igor Girkin is now in contact with people in Donetsk, previously with him in Donetsk and those eastern parts, who are now there in Kherson, uh, around these places where the counterattack is going on, where the fighting is heaviest, because apparently Russia has moved about 60% of their total forces in Kherson, because, well, my theory keeps pr- proving correct that uh, Russia just doesn't want any major victories for Ukraine, because a single one might um, disrupt the whole house cards. Basically, Igor Girkin's on free, because he apparently had used his contacts not to get into huge trouble, although his buddies and, uh, you know, like-minded folks as him keep getting arrested. That settles the Girkin question, at least. To my best information, he might be arrested as I record this, but I pieced together that he's not in jail, he's not being sent anywhere, he was just prevented to go straight to front lines and interrogated, but then let go. And according to Arastovich, he's on front lines, but I don't believe that, he's somewhere near. We'll see. I think that he's more or less safe because he also posted a new kind of very short um, like look at the situation in the front, which I'm going to give you right now. And he again talks in oblast, oblast positions. Kharkiv oblast. Basically, nothing is happening there. <laughs> which is kind of silly, you know, you start with something where nothing's happening, but it is what it is. Front from Sheverk to Solidar to Bakhmut. Again, no significant movements, but there are street fighting uh, in both, you know, in the streets of these places. I don't really know how big they are. Some of them are big, some of them are smaller, but I think Siversk is pretty, pretty big. But um, there are street fighting in Siversk, and there are active battles going on in the outskirts of Bakhmut and Solidar. There are also kind of battles of local, local tactical, tactical importance. Uh, basically to the north and um, and northwest to Gorlovka. Gorlovka was the place which, by the way, which Ukrainians uh, heavily bombarded and there was active artillery fire going on there. And uh, basically in this region, Girkin reports that very, very slowly Ukrainians retreat. However, well, very slowly, you might think it's 10 meters a day, but, you know, it might be like 2 to 3 meters per day because the average amount that the Russians have moved is... Super tiny. Now Donetsk. Again, again. Interestingly enough, Donetsk front, he states, without any changes, he states that um, there is active fighting in the northwest of Pieski and in Marinka. Meanwhile, Russian official government's uh, government position is that Pieski has been taken, completely conquered, um, yeah, holy, for now, for sure. Except that if you've been listening to my show, then I had been reporting that official Russian position was that Pisky had been completely conquered even before I left the United States. Even before I left Latvia to go to the United States, uh, just to be clear. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for this, uh, like, my hotel room, and, and thanks to the person who bugged this for me, it was it's great. Because, you know, someone someone had a lot of points and they just gave me a hotel room. Awesome. Uh, this hotel room has this conditioner RC coming, coming straight up at me when I'm sitting. And I don't know how to regulate the thing. So my right side's pretty cold. But yeah. Anyhow, either Pesky has been ta- Pesky have been taken for the sixth time in, sixth time in two weeks. Which is, uh, I don't know. Or there's heavy fighting there. But basically, extremely slow movement. 
Then there's the district of Ugliagorsk. Uh, there, he claims, tactical success for the armed forces of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. And uh, during two, uh, two last uh, 24-hour periods, which we call Sutka, or uh, day-night period, day-night cycle, 24 hours, Sutka is a great name in Russian, by the way, um, some, <clears throat> a few uh, fortified points of Ukrainian army have been taken. I'm not sure about that, but might be true. Kherson and Zaporozhye. Artillery and positional fighting, which is great because Ukrainian army isn't rushing into their um, into their kind of positions and everything. That artillery battles with this might be good. And then um, front from Kharkov to the border with Belarus, again regular exchanges of artillery and rapid fire. And in the, and he spe- specifies that there's a lot of strikes in the territory of Russian Federation, which is important because you see. At one point, I kind of understood that, um, you know, it would be nice to legally ensure that, you know, when, when we're talking about striking Russian Federation soil from Ukrainian perspective. Sure, I think I think Ukraine could be given these long-range missiles as long as they strike the positions in Russia where the where army units are focused and, and basically where the strikes are based from. If Russia fires missiles at Ukraine from a certain position inside Russia, then Ukraine should be able to strike them. I spoke with a listener today, um, by the way, hi, not going to mention any names here for privacy reasons, obviously, but um, yeah, I think Ukraine should just be able to strike Russia whatever they strike Ukraine from. If Ukraine decides to strike further inland, that could give Putin actual legitimate reason, and you know he could push this through popularly to mobilize Russia, but uh, strikes inside Russian territory from which Russians are striking Ukraine. That seems very reasonable and nice and actually something that should be done to, well, expedite the Ukrainian victory. In other news of, uh, of this whole war thing, <clears throat> and this comes from Dmilov, Nilov, by the way, and I'll and I'll quit to and I'll and I'll exchange this one and I'll end this one with Prigozhin situation and with a strike at the at the base of Wagner, but uh, just some minor news in between. In the occupied towns of Lugansk district, Russian soldiers, in exchange for produce or money, find out on local retired people, pensioners, information about men in the conscription age. This is being stated by the head of the Luhansk, uh, Luhansk kind of uh, military administration, Sergei Gaidai. He, they, they legit are basically... Uh, Telling soldiers to give some some money to local poor tired people to find out where uh, the where, where those few who have not yet been conscripted are hiding so that they can be sent to the meat grinder. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is always a fun thing. Workers of 
Mosvoda Kanal, that's Moscow water, can- water Channel, kind of basically irrigation systems, aqueducts, that sort of thing for Moscow. Uh, Soviet Union loved its abbreviations. These um, these people basically have been forced to go to go to basically uh, to the city of Shastya. The city is called Shastya. That means well, luck or good luck in um, in Russian. Basically, these this this city of Shastya, it's a town basically. It's under control of the Luhansk People's Republic, and they're not being um, being paid at all, and they're they haven't even received their their. Um, their contracts as well. Interestingly enough, yeah, this just means that Russian Federation is just deciding to, we'll pay you later, do slave labor now. It's kind of funny that uh, the side that claims to be fighting against Nazis uses, you know, cheats its own people who are being forcibly sent on hostile ground to fix up bombed stuff and then not paying them, essentially using slave labor. Always fun. In the Kohovska hydroelectric station, one turbine has been switched off, uh, and basically uh, the whole hydroelectric station now works in emergency regime. TASS states this. Ukrainian forces claim that the bridge to this hydroelectric dam has been taken out, which is great. A lot of these dams near uh, Kherson region have been taken out, a lot of bridges. Another strike happened at Antonovka, which means that Russian forces are now basically... They have gone back to... Um, to the positions, which, which you know, they, they've crossed the Dnieper, and although there's no active movement by the Ukrainian forces, and I still have to watch, by the way, Perun's new video where he claims that Ukraine has a lot of manpower, not enough tanks, which is what I always state, Ukraine needs heavy weaponry and heavy armaments because they have manpower, they lack technology, Russia has all the tanks, but they lack the men, actually, to ban them, so, you know, we should provide Ukraine with tanks because we can do that, we can't provide them with men. Anyway, they're they're bombing the bridges. Slovakia is now giving Ukraine its MiG-29 uh, 29 fighter planes. Uh, this, by the way, has been stated by um, by the state channel RTV. Yes, the same. With um, with basically Yaroslav Nadia, who is the minister of defense of the country. Uh, Pro-Russian channels, pro-Russian telegram channels have already been stating that oh, MiG-29, they're nothing, they're useless. Even though Russia continues to use them. They state it's like, well, not nice, but, um, you know, not tragic either. Ukraine has now stated that um, out of the occupied Energograd, next to that is a kind of a nuclear power station, which is kind of prone to Russian sabotage because Russian soldiers keep being stationed in the nuclear power plant, and then they're accusing Ukraine of trying to cause a nuclear blast, even though it's most likely their own their own doings or whatever, but uh, mass evacuation is happening there, and everyone's kind of gone away. Fun story from our neighbors of Estonia and Finland. Basically, Finns and Estonians intend to close off, and if you look at if you look at the map of the world, look where Estonia's capital, Tallinn, is located. It was also in the Zreval before that, by the way, in German times, just some random history. Basically, Tallinn and Helsinki are so close that if you take a ferry, it'll take you about two to th- two, two, two and a half hours to cross through that. It's not a kind of a very wide gap. It's a tiny gap. And apparently, they've already coordinated the thing that'll um, basically close all Russian shipping going from St. Petersburg port. They're going to close the rest of the Baltic Sea to Russian 
Russian military ships. Just just as soon as Finland becomes a full-fledged NATO member. Which means that, uh, well, Swedish listeners rejoice. You're going to have less Russian submarines in your waters. Because, yeah, previously Finland wasn't a NATO member and Russia just, you know, tended to poke at us in the Baltics and Sweden and sometimes North Germany and sometimes Denmark, you know, territorial waters with their subs and do all sorts of provocative things. But now Tallinn and Helsinki uh, have decided to basically, yeah, you know, we can just close the gap and not let anyone through. Baltic Sea has, well, about to turn into a NATO lake, which I find extremely nice. Merchant, merchant vessels will not be affected, but not like they can stand anywhere. Poland also has stated that they'll stop uh, giving out visas to the, to the citizens of Russia. But basically, they don't give out tourist visas for a couple of months. And, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia are doing the same, except certain conditions or whatever. But I think that's kind of a political mistake. For one, that keeps anti-Putin Russians inside of the country. I mean, their argument. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of Russian liberals on, on, on TV and on YouTube, and Russian liberals state that this gives basically armament to Russian propaganda that, well, you see the fact that Putin claims that this is a proxy war of the rest of the world versus Russia and they hate us just because we're Russians, this gives them ammo. The counter-argument that I've heard from a lot of people is that, yeah, you know, it's so cool and amazing from you to just go to our countries in EU and everywhere else and just sit through the war while people are, people are suffering and you get all the benefits and uh, you do nothing. You basically run away from your country, ex- basically you ha- get to live in the Western world and you're just sitting there not providing any goods. We will still give, well, apparently Baltics and Poland, will still give asylum to those people who are actively persecuted by Putin's regime, of course. But if you're just a random rich guy who just wants to sit the war out somewhere out there and, uh, you know, still want to, you know, not do anything against Putin, and if you're too lazy for that, that's a thing, because a lot of these people could also just be Putin's agents. It's a double-edged sword, and I don't, I don't personally think that total cutoff of visas is a solution, but I can clearly see why it's being done. I mean, what else can we do? What else is the pressure that we can apply? From one side, yeah, sure, that keeps people who are harmful to Putin's regime, and Putin can use this to, you know, hurt every, like, yell at, look, look, they're not letting us in. However, out of, uh, in Russia, only about 10% of the population ever have traveled abroad. So 90% of the people, you know, they're still, they're, they already think that EU and the West are totally against Russians. And those guys are the ones who support the war in Ukraine, so it's a tough moral situation. <laughs> bit of a, bit of a more in-depth coming in my episodes that I'm going to record this evening, but that's going to be mostly American stuff intertwined with, um, some things that I learned from Smithsonian. And yeah, well, Fitch and Standard & Poor's have also kind of decreased the financial ratings of Ukraine to default levels because they basically managed the deal to pay off their external debt. However, well, Ukraine and Ukrainian government have ensured that basically they've put up their payments for their debt interest up until 2024, and they already basically live... Because their economy is in shambles, they're at war, they're being conquered, they're being bombed at. Of course, they don't have proper financing. Whatever whatever taxes they pull in it's, is already weird. So, yeah, I mean... When Russia went, you know, deep, when Russia defaulted, it didn't matter because no one wanted to give them money since they already had had been, you know... They're, they're at war, they're already, everyone's already leaving their country. Nothing will change in their investments. Ukraine, well, Ukraine's receiving a ton of aid and they can't make the payments, they're being invaded, so 
this is one in normal situations countries going default and being bankrupt basically because they can't pay or for various reasons that would be a massive tragedy but right now with the war uh yeah, we'll solve the financial niceties as well. This is one of the situations where economy and economists just have to, you know, go out of the window because not like it matters. And, um, yeah. At this point, there are still protests in Russia and everything, but uh, what I want to finish this episode with is a lot of people have asked me, has Prigozhin died? And let me tell you, no, he hasn't. That's the thing. Apparently, um, a, a Russian war journalist named Sreda, or Wednesday, he apparently had posted on his webpage that I went to this here town and met some private warfare group Wagner people. And, you know, after two days, it was blown up and Prigozhin was seen somewhere near and then some, some artillery was, was destroyed. I didn't even pay attention to these news until you guys on Twitter started poking me. By the way, our Twitter is at eastern underscore border. Please follow us. We're trying to get to 20,000 followers. But, um... But yeah, you see, Prigozhin is a known troll, and Russian military have acted dumbly, but in, in normal ways. See, see, basically, yeah, they've received real their positions, but unless this Sreda guy is ridiculously dumb and idiotic to such an extent that even I, the cynical me, which, which, which knows that sometimes in the Russian army, people in training are not allowed to hit their targets because that would ruin the targets and you have to account for them and all the corruption. Even I don't believe he's that ridiculously dumb. I'm trying to apply charity principle here, okay? Counterintelligence team, where I got my news for, from this one, they, uh... Even the guy interviewing them states that, no, it's quite likely that Russians are that dumb and that incompetent. But counterintelligence team basically looks looks and reports this as kind of like... Mm. And in this specific case, in this one specific case, this doesn't look like Russians being dumb, this looks like Prigozhin's troll move. Why? Because Prigozhin, specifically the guy who is in Wagner Group, and only because this is Wagner Group, if, if this was Russian regular army, I would say, yep, dumb, dumb war reporter who left out, the, left out the positions and dumb people who blew it up. However, in this very specific case, I think that Prigozhin's just trolling with him being dead and he wants to, you know, he, he wants to draw some artillery fire on his positions on that random building because uh, the guy guy was greeted and he posted the position on an open street and that's kind of retarded because you'd have to go inside the building of, of the people you know, of, of the military base to not reveal their positions but Prigozhin's known to do trolling acts Prigozhin has bought up all of Navalny's debt and let it go just to troll them and then, you know, sue them. Prigozhin's also sued everyone in Russia who even spoke against him. Prigozhin's kind of like, he's a mean, he, he's he, he's pulled a lot of mean pranks inside of Russia. Uh, I should make a special episode about all these mean pranks. But he's known for trolling and the whole kind of very open positional thing. I, th I think he's pulling some sort of a long game here. I don't believe Prigozhin's that. But, you know, that about wraps it up. Again, sorry for the small amount of episodes. It's just that, you know, I've um, I've been talking to people, meeting listeners, and then doing some tourist stuff, and when I come back at my, my home, wherever I'm staying, or, or at a hotel, it's it's about 10pm, and I just want to pass out, and I want to make a great episode, like, I was super tired in my last one in Maine, even, you know, so, um, I hope this one's better, and like I said, in about, uh, what is this now, in about four hours, maybe three at this point, I think four, we're recording with History Impossible, Alexander von Rattenberg, and then I'm going to be talking about America stuff and um, some interesting philosophical ideas. And um, Alexander asked me not to talk about Salman Rushdie, so we will we'll, we'll do that. 
And let me remind you that throughout this month and until I go back to Ukraine, which is going to be in you know, some point in September, we are collecting money for a drone to a personal squad that I know of, of Ukrainians. And yeah, if you wanna, you can just click the donate button on the Eastern Border LV website and just, you know, basically change the support the Eastern Border little thing to for the drone thing and I'll just put it in the drone funds because everything goes into the drone funds. If you want to support the show specifically, please become our patron at patreon.com slash easternmortar or just click the little money button on um, on, on the on kind of the Twitter page. Also, if you go to the Eastern Border LV, you can listen to all the shows without ads, which is a recommended way because, you know, I don't get almost any advertisement money anyways. It's... <laughs> It's not a huge part of this. I'm I'm your funded. I'm I'm funded by Patreon and your donations. And yeah, most of the ad money goes for hosting expenses and all this stuff. And yeah, basically for everything. So feel free to listen to this without ads. Of course, every Patreon also gets each episode without ads. And that's the business side away. I'm being told that, you know, I should also state that, hey, if any of you have any connections in, I don't know, higher education, because in some of the talks, people told me that hey, if I was intending to do my PhD, you know, if anyone knows anything about scholarships and and a PhD program that I could work or some think tank that I could, you know, get into as the war ends, because I'm planning to do that, please let us know. Write us an email. I'd be happy to work with a think tank or or something like that. Because, yeah, doing doing my PhD abroad would also, I think, be a boon or something. And finally, America's a really nice place. I like it here. The, the cities on the East Coast are vastly different from each other, and I've, I've eaten a lot of your local foods, and I enjoy this place. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.